good evening. It is 5 p.m. on Tuesday, January 16th, 2024, and you're tuned in to CFRC 11.9 FM, broadcasting from Carruthers Hall on Queen's Campus in Kingston, Ontario. I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist, Christina Laurie, and you're listening to Kingston Currents. CFRC's news programming is brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and the Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. In the next half hour, we will be discussing a public meeting which occurred last week discussing the future of Lemoyne Point Farm and the many innovative ideas that sprang from it, featuring an interview with same Lemoyne Point Farm group member Jim B.I.G. Next, we'll be sitting down with Marianne Green, a nurse practitioner currently advocating with her team, Nurses for Kingston, to open a nurse practitioner-led clinic in Kingston. On Tuesday, January 9th, community members gathered at Centre 70 to envision the future of Lemoyne Point Farm. The meeting was announced last week by Save Lemoyne Point Farm, a group that came together after the passing of previous owner Mary Fraser in 2022. The group believes that it is important to conserve this farmland and waterfront so close to the heart of the city, and invited community members to attend the meeting and imagine the best future for the farm. The 75 available spots were quickly reserved, and many more people wishing to attend were on the wait list. Despite inclement weather conditions, over 60 people attended the meeting. The meeting was full of new ideas, with attendees bringing a wide range of expertise and no shortage of passion for the cause. To talk about the meeting, I sat down with Jim B.I.G., a member of the Save Lemoyne Point Farm group. Here's what he had to say. Would you like to introduce yourself and maybe share a bit about how you're involved with Save Lemoyne Point Farm? Yeah, hi. Uh, so my name is Jim Biagi. I'm a medical oncologist um, uh, at the uh, Cancer Centre uh, and, and hospitals in Queens. Um, I'm a local resident living in the West End and uh, was part of the founding group of Save Lemoyne Point Farm uh, group that started after the death of the final owner of the farm. Perfect. Thank you. And just to give some background on the farm, of course, um, it's a fixture in the community and also uh, a really important site of nature and biodiversity. Why has it been in limbo for such a long time? Sure. So um, it actually was in active farming use for many years until probably about three or four years ago uh, and um, has been in private hands. Uh, in fact, as was the entire peninsula, Lemoyne Point, um, historically, uh, and the um, conservation area, the airport, the what we call the Weatherall property, which is just south of the airport, has all been in transition uh, over um, these many years. The farm itself, uh, about 33 hectares or 82 acres, has been in private hands and was actively farmed, including uh, animals and uh, grains uh, for um, uh, many years and and up up to about 2016-2017. Absolutely. And uh, since the last owner passed away, I believe it hasn't gone up for sale, but it's been in a bit um, of an uncertain position. Yeah, so the the owner did not have any offspring and the estate now holds the property uh, with uncertain uh, uh, current situation. I know, so some of us on the Lamont Save Lemoyne Point Farm Group, which consists of seven people, five of whom are actually in the area near the uh, farm. Uh, some of us knew Mary Fraser prior to her death in um, a year and a half ago, April, 2022. And she did have wishes to preserve the farm and preserve the forests and the shoreline. But this was apparently not uh, spelled out in her will, and she did not donate the land. 
Uh, and so this currently, the, the, the current status is that the farm is with the estate. Now, uh, it has been uh, approaching two years since her death. And at this point, the status of the farm is unknown because it is with the estate. We do know that the city, uh, uh, including most of the councillors and the mayor, Patterson, have expressed interest in the farm. Mm -hmm. uh, they, the, um, the city has uh, several plans, but one, one of the uh, plans about waterfront goes back to the, the, the planning document of 2016, where they actually described the farm as a, a, a piece of land that is of interest. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that background and sort of giving us a picture of where we are now. And last night you had a meeting uh, to brainstorm with the community about what the future of Lemoyne Point Farm should look like. I was wondering, how did the idea for last night's meeting come up? Well, I'll give a background of the group. Mm -hmm. When when we got together, we were concerned that the land may be sold off and uh, developed, whether it be commercial or residential. And our primary goal was to prevent that from happening. And Although we had no access to information about the status of the farm because it was within the estate after Mary's death, we did have uh, an interest in raising public awareness about the farm and about its future um, risks in terms of development and its future potential as, as use for, for instance, uh, public access or farming uh, or indigenous uses. Uh, there's also two heritage, at least two heritage buildings, on, potential heritage buildings on the site. Sorry, I shouldn't say heritage buildings. Two two beautiful stone houses are potential heritage status uh, as well. So there's a lot of potential for the farm. The group wanted to uh, use social media meetings with councillors and the mayor, uh, and ultimately, the meeting last night uh, that was entitled A Conversation About the Future of Lemoyne Point Farm, as a way of garnering public interest uh, and momentum uh, as we look towards what the future of the farm might be, even though it's not in our hands. So the group has tried to remain neutral in terms of future um, prospects for the farm, other than to try and avoid development that would restrict uh, public or uh, social uh, uh, aspects to to the to the property so last night we we so we had um invited uh, uh, people who have subscribed to, to our uh, website and uh, um, our email followers uh, we had opened up the invitation to uh, to the to the city to to the public uh, to try and see what uh, what ideas the public may have for the farm. We we used a facilitator, uh, Mr. Eric Lockhart, who uh, is with Queens and is a very experienced facilitator. He donated his time actually and set up a facilitated meeting. Uh, he asked that we uh, have a somewhat restricted number. So rather than, for instance, 200 people at a, at a meeting, we limited the number uh, to 75 and chose the uh, Centre 70 upstairs meeting room, uh, which uh, which was used last night for the meeting. Uh, because as, as you uh, probably experienced as well, the weather was 
horrendous and we did mm-hmm. have some cancellations but we ended up with uh, over 60 people of the 75 who were able to attend last night despite the weather and despite you know some people uh, um, emailing in that they had a sore throat and that sort of thing which was appropriately they stayed home the meeting was in person only uh, as a means of facilitating discussion so we didn't have a zoom or a teams component to the meeting Absolutely. That's amazing to hear that so many people turned out, especially with the weather um, and everything. I, You said it was back 75 people and the list on Eventbrite was completely full with a wait list. Getting into the results, how did the brainstorming sessions go? What kind of ideas came up? What were some of the top ideas? We were uh, pleased to uh, have in attendance James Barr from the city who and it gave us an overview of the current zoning status uh, of the farm. Now it is just west of the airport. So there are some restrictions in terms of height uh, and and uh, runway access. So that was interesting to hear. And then that was followed by the, the audience breaking into eight tables of about eight people each uh, with computers uh, all linked up to Eric Lockhart's uh, central system. Uh, and the, t- the groups, uh, the tables were asked to uh, brainstorm ideas for the farm, so the the audience consisted of a, a younger to older people, uh, people with lots of government experience, people with farming experience, uh, indigenous experience as well. So the the variety of ideas um, was was exceptional. And even though the Save Lemoyne Point Farm Group has been together and meeting for the you know since you know May of 2022, essentially, uh, there were new ideas that we hadn't even thought of, which was really exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. And as a group, it must have felt amazing to see that the community was just as um, passionate about this as you guys are, for sure. I like the word passionate. You're right. There there were no people in the room suggesting that we turn it into a wind farm or uh, 20 residential properties. I, I think everyone in the room was concerned that the land should be preserved in some form for public access or for natural uh, uh, purposes. So some of the ideas that came out, for instance, included uh, a, a teaching farm for for students and and uh, and, and local residents, and, and also a way of generating local food supply. Uh, another idea was somehow uh, uh, looking at the buildings, whether they could be considered for uh, use as educational venues, uh, indigenous uh, uh arts and and culture uses was considered um, public access, for instance. So, you know, a simple idea would be, for instance, for the uh, conservation area just north of it to be extended to include the farmland uh, as Mm -hmm. as a simple idea Uh, and and all sorts of other other options, uh, national park status or um, land conservancy status. and there was, a, you know, there, if you've ever been on the farm or seen pictures, there's a stone wall that is a dry stone uh, uh, construction that is about two and a half feet tall, but it runs from the entrance, the gate, sorry, the entrance to the farm all the way into the houses. So it's probably a kilometer long, and some of it's collapsing. And one of the ideas was to, uh, uh, because stonework in in Kingston is so prominent with our limestone buildings, the expertise for building and maintaining limestone uh, works 
is is uh, is a dying uh, phenomenon but but using uh, uh, lo local expertise to help rebuild the wall was was one of the one of the suggestions it's a beautiful wall where it is mm -hmm. still intact absolutely that's and it's kind of exciting to be able to um as opposed to just being concerned about the future of the farm to be able to get excited about the future of the farm what one of the problems we've had ever since we joined as a group the seven of us is that we have really no status uh, on the land to save Lemoyne Point Farm Group is trying to advocate for um, public interest in preserving the land. The group is not involved in negotiations, say with this with the city directly or with the estate. That's not our mandate. Um, but what we do have uh, is generating ideas for how the land might. Uh, be disposed uh, within the estate. So, for instance, the, the property could simply be put up for sale on the market, which we hope isn't the case. The city may uh, may purchase the land, and, and even the mayor has expressed interest in, in that land. Uh, there could be deep pockets of a private donor that uh, that takes over the, the ownership of the land. Um, and ultimately, we've had a lot of people say, hey, I'd like to donate you know where can I donate money so that we can you know buy the land and and that would require some kind of public funding process such as uh, you know a GoFundMe page or something. So we have these as possible ideas, but we're in limbo as far as the status of the farm while it still remains in a in a state situation and it has been now almost two years in that status. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like a lot of great ideas were generated last night. I was wondering, moving forward, how this session will be implemented. There was so much excitement last night, and we had lots of people who perhaps couldn't attend because of the weather or who, um, as you mentioned, uh, couldn't get tickets because we were at capacity. So a lot of people disappointed that they couldn't participate. So one option would be to have another uh, such event with a larger uh, venue and, and uh, larger numbers of people. We do plan to summarize the results of the meeting last night in terms of all the great ideas. So Eric Lockhart was able to consolidate the ideas with a consensus in the whole uh, in the whole room as to what the the broadest uh, uh, exciting uh, possibilities were for the farm. We also made a, a relatively short list of the, the worst thing that could happen to the farm, which was also really interesting and, and quite consistent across the, the group that was there last night. Um, we hope to meet again with councillors and the mayor to uh, indicate the the success of the meeting and, and the outcome in terms of uh, proposals. Uh, and we'll just continue to try and be a, a public presence in the media and in the community to have uh, public engagement to what might happen to the farm. Before we get into more local news, I'm going to throw it to Chloe Paris with our CFRC weather and traffic report for this evening. This is Chloe Paris coming in with your CFRC weather and traffic report for Tuesday, January 16th. For weather today, expect flurries along with snow blowing in the late morning and afternoon, amounting to 5 to 10 centimeters. Winds will be coming in from the west at 20 kilometers per hour, gusting to 50 in the morning. Expect a high of minus 5 today and wind chills near minus 15. This evening, it will be partly cloudy with a low of minus 14. Winds from the west are coming in at 20 km per hour, gusting to 40. 
Wind chills are expected to be minus 15 in the evening and rising to 22 overnight. Next up is your weekly CFRC traffic report. Please note that the winter parking ban will be in effect as of January 1, 2024. Motorists are advised that overnight on-street parking is not permitted during the months of January and February. Public Services and Procurement Canada PSPC, wishes to advise motorists of an alternating lane closure on LaSalle Causeway for major rehabilitation from Wednesday, November 1, 2023 through Tuesday, April 30, 2024. During this period, one lane will be closed and one lane will remain open for alternating traffic. Motorists should expect short delays. Access will be maintained for pedestrians and cyclists. PSPC encourages users to exercise caution when traveling on the bridge and thanks them for their patience. Now, onto road closures. University Avenue, Union to Earl will be closed until May 29th for the removal of debris from demolition and concrete deliveries at the Queen's John Dutch University Centre project. Pedestrian impact, Waban Crossing Bridge, mid-January 2024. The city is performing some pipe maintenance on the underside of the Waban Crossing. The maintenance is scheduled to take place on January 16th or January 17th, depending on the weather forecast. The work is expected to take less than one day's time. The work will not affect any vehicle traffic and will have minimal impact on pedestrians. The work will be performed from a bucket truck that will be parked on the Wabans multi-use pathway near the east shore. There will be 1.5 meters of space around the truck to allow for pedestrians to safely pass the work zone. The work zone will have some fencing and a construction person to assist with the pedestrian access when needed. In other delays, Queen Street, Montreal to Sydenham, expect an eastbound lane closure until April 1, 2024. Detours will be in place for the duration of the lane closure. This has been Chloe Paris with your Tuesday, January 16th weather and traffic report. Thank you, Chloe. A group of nurse practitioners and allied healthcare professionals are advocating to open a nurse practitioner-led clinic in Kingston. In May of 2023, the Ontario government put out an expression of interest for new healthcare centers. Nurse practitioner Marianne Green responded with a proposal to open a hybrid nurse practitioner-led clinic in Kingston, hoping to utilize nurse practitioners and other healthcare professionals to help address the primary care crisis in Kingston. Despite originally expecting a response in the fall of 2023, applicants have yet to receive word from the Ontario government regarding their submissions. Nurses for Kingston, the group spearheading this project under the direction of Marianne Green and Catherine Hayhoe, have begun a campaign to raise awareness in Kingston. The group has created a petition to send to the government, which they plan to present in the coming weeks. To talk more about this project and their ongoing campaign, I sat down with Marianne Green. Here's what she had to say. To start us off, I was wondering if you'd like to introduce yourself and give us a bit of background on Nurses of Kingston. Sure. Uh, so my name is Marianne Green. I am a nurse practitioner. I uh, embarked on this project to look into opening a nurse practitioner health center in Kingston, Ontario uh, back in May of 2023. The uh, government put out an expression of interest for new health centers. Kingston has been in a crisis for a long time. Um, I find it really difficult to manage patients' care knowing that they don't have any other resources. I do work in eMERGE and then within the hospital as well in orthopedics. And it can be very challenging sending a patient out from the hospital setting, knowing that they don't have anywhere else to go if, uh, if they need reassessments, if they need 
uh, stitches or staples taken out, um, if they have concerns of infection, if they need refills on their medications. It's very challenging to, to manage a patient when they don't have anyone except for the hospital staff, and it's not appropriate to expect the hospital to look after the entire population. So, um, looking at all the different aspects of care that nurse practitioners are capable of providing, looking at how nurse practitioners are implementing care in other cities, in other regions, in other provinces, and even other countries, I put together a proposal um, to, to the provincial government that would look at implementing a new nurse practitioner-led health centre here in Kingston. It's no secret that uh, there's a lack of family physicians or physicians in general in this area, and that is primarily why we are struggling so much as a region to manage people's primary health care needs. Um, so if we shift our focus to the nurse practitioner population, I believe strongly that we can reliably start to close those gaps in healthcare and start to be able to provide those basic primary healthcare needs to the general public, easing the burden on our local hospitals. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And you mentioned the main goal of this whole project here, the nurse practitioner-led hybrid clinic. Yep. The first in Ontario this would be. It would be. Yes. Awesome. And I was wondering if you could describe a bit of your vision for this clinic, uh, what kind of services it would provide um, and what it would supplement for what we're missing in the community right now. Yeah. So again, so looking at the needs of the community, um, certainly people need primary health care providers. Mm -hmm. This project would be the new hybrid clinic and I proposed a hybrid clinic so that we can register a certain number of patients. So in general, the expectations are about 800 persons per nurse practitioner. Um, and that's going to reach, so with the proposal, I have put forward five baseline nurse practitioners. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at somewhere around um, 4,000 people that we would be registering to the primary care clinic. So that would have mm -hmm. a primary care provider, primary care nurse practitioner that they would see regularly, similar to the family physician models. So that only looks after about 4,000 people, and uh, there are a minimum of 40,000 people in Kingston without a primary care provider. Mm -hmm. So when we look at those health needs and what we can do for people um, within the proposed model, if we open up that urgent care center, we can substantially increase the number of patients that we are able to provide care for that aren't registered to the clinic. So giving King Kingstonians another option for healthcare services that isn't the emergency department. Mm -hmm, absolutely, and are there any examples outside of Ontario or within Ontario that are similar? So the uh, there are, 25 nurse practitioner-led clinics in Ontario alone. Um, those are your primary healthcare centers. So they register patients to a nurse practitioner, just like I've put forward in the model. It is highly successful in many other regions. I believe the closest one to us is in Belleville. I believe there's another one in Peterborough and so on and so forth. Um, Kingston, has been lacking in this area for a while. I do think we need the public's voice 
and opinion to say that this is something we want if mm -hmm. this is going to happen in Kingston. Yeah, absolutely. And I was wondering if there was a space in mind for this project. Yep, uh, the medical campus just off of Innovation Drive. And I'm sure your timeline is dependent on when you hear back from the government on that funding. Um, do you know approximately how much funding you're asking for, how much they will be willing to provide? So with the initial proposal from uh, May 2023, there's no specific limit on those funds. There was another funding proposal in uh, in the summer that we uh, we applied for that one as well, and that one was specific for two million. So we have applied with both. I am not clear if the two million is for the whole project or if it would just be um, for what we asked for, which is largely to build the site and then provide. Uh, provide the means for nurse practitioners and nurses to be funded, paid for their services. Green also got into the creation of the group Nurses for Kingston. I am well connected with many different healthcare professionals within the region. Um, it was a friend of mine within the nurse practitioner population who uh, who sent me the template for the expression of interest back in the spring. Um, he was aware that I was interested, I have been interested for a while in opening a local nurse practitioner center. And uh, that was the suggestion, say, okay, there's an opportunity here. So I decided to go forward with that opportunity and start to take steps to, uh, to build this center to get that nurse practitioner project going. As the project has formed, as I have drawn up the template and reached out to local partners, um, there is an abundance of nurse practitioners who are interested in helping out with this centre, who would be interested in helping to run this centre. Um, we are well connected with the nursing force in Kingston as well, who are also interested in providing support. Um, and then from my physician colleagues as well, I have a lot of support from them. Um, largely, as I mentioned, I have worked in the emergency department. They really do need that burden eased off of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to mention, because I mean, those concerning polls just came out, um, QB announced them on Thursday, I believe. I'm saying a lot of folks are really struggling mentally mm -hmm. and physically with the workload in the hospitals. I was wondering if you could speak a bit to that and the burden that this could uh, relieve for staff in hospitals. So the burnout in the hospitals is very real. Um, as we have talked about, the uh, influx of patients into the hospital system as a reliable source for healthcare needs um, just keeps climbing. And year by year, we see a reduced number of community resources for health-related needs for patients. Um, and this drives people more and more into the hospitals. So. Those that I'm working with, those that I know, those that are doing what they can to provide care for the community um, are working extremely hard. They are often picking up overtime hours. They are often missing their lunch breaks. Um, they are responding to calls while they are at home with their families and going into the hospital to provide those care needs to the general population. It is really remarkable what everyone is doing to be able to look after the general public. I do think that we need a better solution because I am concerned about the burnout rate with uh, healthcare professionals right now. Finally, Green shared how you can support Nurses for Kingston and their ongoing campaign. The provincial government advised that 
persons who had put forth an expression of interest would hear back in the fall of 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand that that has not happened, uh, not for just myself, but for anyone else putting Mm -hmm. forth proposals that uh, we have not heard back from the provincial government yet. So as we were coming to a close in that fall season, I made a decision, or myself with my team, made a decision to start the campaign to raise awareness in Kingston uh, to put some pressure on the provincial government to respond. We have the petition going on the Nurses for Kingston website. Um, You click on the register your support. So that petition we are going to send out to the provincial government um, probably within the next two weeks. We will continue with the petition in the meantime up until mm-hmm. we have a response from the government. So please, if we encourage everyone to register your support, sign the petition. Uh, we do need Kingston's voice to get this going. Mm-hmm. So we have hit first thousand persons um, target. Mm-hmm. So we are going to take the numbers that we have, push it forward. Um, it is possible that the government can respond at any time Mm -hmm. so I want to make sure that we are continuing with the momentum that we have and putting pressure on um, as we know it because they can respond at any point in time and then continue up until we have a response from the government. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for listening to CFRC's local news programming, brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and the Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. To hear more from CFRC's news team, be sure to tune in tomorrow at 5pm for Today in YGK, or head to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next. What'll I Wear offers the best in vintage, funky, one-of-a-kind treasures, clothing, accessories, and a fabulous selection of jewels, vintage and new. Find the cutest purse, the most dashing of hats and sunglasses, everything to complete your individual look. What'll I Wear has it all. They can dress you from top to bottom. Find your new fashion fave at What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street in Kingston. Visit their new location and follow them on Facebook to keep up to date with what's in store at What'll I Wear.